0: Job chapter 15, from verses 1 through 35. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Should a wise man answer with windy knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he argue in unprofitable talk or in words with which he can do no good? But you are doing away with the fear of God and hindering meditation before God. For your iniquity teaches your mouth, and you choose the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, and not I. Your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man who was born? Or were you brought forth before the hills? Have you listened in the counsel of God? And do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we do not know? What do you understand that is not clear to us? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, older than your father. Are the comforts of God too small for you, or the word that deals gently with you? Why does your heart carry you away, and why do your eyes flash, that you turn your spirit against God and bring such words out of your mouth? What is man that he can be pure, or he who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less one who is abominable and corrupt, a man who drinks injustice like water. I will show you. Hear me, and what I have seen I will declare. What wise men have told without hiding it from their fathers, to whom alone the land was given, and no stranger passed among them. The wicked man writhes in pain all his days. Through all the years they are laid up for the ruthless. Dreadful sounds are in his ears. In prosperity, the destroyer will come upon him. He does not believe that he will return out of darkness, and he is marked for the sword. He wanders abroad for bread, saying, Where is it? He knows that a day of darkness is ready at his hand. Distress and anguish terrify him. They prevail against him like a king ready for battle. Because he has stretched out his hand against God and defies the Almighty, "'running stubbornly against him with a thickly-bossed shield "'because he has covered his face with his fat "'and gathered fat upon his waist "'and has lived in desolate cities "'and houses that none should inhabit "'which were ready to become heaps of ruins. "'He will not be rich, and his wealth will not endure, "'nor will his possessions spread over the earth. "'He will not depart from darkness. "'The flame will dry up his shoots, "'and by the breath of his mouth he will depart.' Let him not trust in emptiness, deceiving himself, for emptiness will be his payment. It will be paid in full before his time, and his branch will not be green. He will shake off his unripe grape like the vine, and cast off his blossom like the olive tree. For the company of the godless is barren, and fire consumes the tents of bribery. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil, and their womb prepares deceit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are warnings throughout God's Word that warns us about having a false security. Uh, This is why Paul would say to the Corinthians, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And I'm sure many of us have heard the well-known warning about false teachers from Jeremiah 6 verse 14. And how they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. But just as there are warnings about having a false security, there are just as much, if not more, warnings about bringing up false accusations against a brother because it is akin to bearing false witness and slander, which is breaking the ninth commandment. And Job's friends have been approaching this line. All this time, his friends should have been saying to Job, Peace, peace, to heal his wounds, because Job did have peace with God. But instead, they have been making assumptions about Job. And you know what you make yourself, and those who follow you lead if you assume. Let the hearer understand they made assumptions about Job which led to false conclusions and now there have been false accusations. Eliphaz wasn't quite there when he made his first speech in chapters 4 and 5. He was a bit more sympathetic with a word of encouragement at the end of his speech. But now in this second cycle of speeches, after he has heard Job's responses to all of his friends, Eliphaz begins to lose his patience and moves from false assumptions to false accusations. Now, where does this all come from? So far, we have established that Job's friends had a worldly religious system that they believed and applied to Job. And their religious system is reflected in all of the world's false religious systems today. It is a simple system and it is a legalistic system. A system that lacks grace and it lacks the redemptive suffering we all need for salvation. That is, first and foremost, the suffering of an innocent and blameless substitute in our place. You see, the world hates the gospel. By nature, man hates the good news of God's free grace. Man, as the natural moralist, continues to ask, How can God ever let the most wicked people who have ever lived off the hook? You're meaning to tell me that this person, who I know was wicked for all his life, is now, by grace, through faith, freed from all condemnation and judgment because of what Jesus Christ has done on his behalf? Well, yes. Because there is no other way. No one will be able to stand the scrutiny of God's judgment on their own merits, even the more seriously moral people of the world. All will stand condemned if left to themselves and their own righteousness. To think otherwise is evidence of self-righteousness, not a righteousness that comes from God. The world hates this free grace just as it hates true righteousness and holiness according to God's standards because to insist that one is saved by their own obedience is to be ignorant of God's standard of holiness but this is the system that Job's friends were trying to impose it is a system that hates the gospel just as Job's innocent suffering foreshadows the innocent suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel, Christopher Ashe says this, The hostility of Job's friends foreshadows and helps us understand the hostility of the world today to the gospel of free grace. And it has been demonstrated in how Eliphaz, relying on his own wisdom and his own experiences, Accuses Job first of not fearing God, and secondly, how Job's life resembles the life of the wicked. So, first, he accuses Job. And he does so by examining Job's speech from chapters 12 through 14. And I've broken his analysis down to six conclusions that he came to. First, Job's speech was useless and unprofitable. Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, should a wise man answer with windy knowledge, more literally the knowledge of the wind, and fill his belly with the east wind? Uh, This is speaking of the hot desert wind. It is violent and suffocating because of the heat, and it brings no rain. Right? So it is useless. It is not good for anything, just like Job's speech. So he continues. Should he argue in unprofitable talk or in words with which he can do no good? Job has been arguing that he was suffering for no reason. It wasn't because of sin. So he has been pleading for a hearing before God. So Eliphaz responds that this is unprofitable and useless speech coming from a so-called wise man. It is no use to stand before God if you're guilty. But in reality, there is wisdom in acknowledging your need before God. God hears the cries of his people, for he knows that we are dust. Second, Job's speech lacked devotion to God. He says, but you are doing away with the fear of God and hindering meditation before God. Uh, Meditation is another way of speaking of a thought life devoted to God. He accuses Job of undermining true religion because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the root of a healthy religion. So, Eliphaz is saying that if Job is correct in his assessment that he is not suffering because of sin, then what is the point of following God? What is the point if the righteous suffer? What if you can't explain and predict the future of the righteous in this world? What is the point of piety? If you can't expect rewards in this life. There must always be a reason to follow God. Sounds a lot like Satan at this point, doesn't it? There must always be a rational explanation for suffering. And Job's friends were explaining that Job was suffering because he sinned. But now Job wants to do away with piety. Because he insists that his suffering must have another explanation. But was Job trying to do away with piety? Is that what he did when he insisted to come before God to argue his case? Or was he drawing near to the throne of grace with confidence in his time of need? Wasn't he saying that God was his only hope for any answer at all and that his answer was not found in his friend's? Is that in any way contradicting the fear of God and hindering meditation before God? I believe the answer is somewhere in the middle in Job's case. And I think his friends took themselves a little too seriously. I'm sure we've all had friends like this before. Third, Job's speech proved he was deceptive and guilty. For your iniquity teaches your mouth and you choose the tongue of the crafty. When you hear the word crafty, who does that remind you of? That is the way the serpent is described in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Who deceived our first parents in the Garden of Eden. So he is accusing Job of having the tongue of Satan himself. Your own mouth condemns you and not I. Your own lips testify against you. So he is saying that his guilt explains his words and his words reveal his Guilt. He is accusing Job of having bad motives. He is saying that you say all this, Job, to try to cover up your guilt. Just face up to it. You know you did wrong. I can just tell by what you're saying. Because God catches the wise in their own craftiness. But the question is, how does Eliphaz know Job's heart? We will come to this in a bit. Fourth, Job's speech was prideful. Are you the first man who was born? Did you exist before Adam? Or were you brought forth before the hills? You ever heard that saying, it's as old as the hills? Well, Job, are you as old as the hills? Have you listened in the counsel of God? Uh, This may be speaking of the secret counsel that we saw back in the first two chapters where God decreed all things to take place in Job's life. But it may also speak of intimacy in a covenantal and revelational relationship that Job does share with God, as we will see later on in the book. This is what Eliphaz claimed that he possessed back in chapter 4, because he received a special revelation from God. He is saying, Job doesn't have secret knowledge. We have secret knowledge. So he continues, and do you limit wisdom to yourself? Pretty ironic, because that's what Eliphaz is doing here. What do you know that we do not know? What do you understand that is not clear to us? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, older than your father. You know better than us? You're still wet behind your ears, Job. See, we are of age, and with age comes wisdom. This is the same mistake that many in the church were making during Paul's day, which led... Paul to tell Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. But again, Eliphaz goes back, like Bildad before him, to rely on himself, his experiences, and his worldly tradition for wisdom and knowledge. Who is really being prideful here? Could he not receive correction himself? Fifth, Job's speech was ungrateful. Are the comforts of God too small for you? Or the word that deals gently with you? Why does your heart carry you away? And why do your eyes flash? That you turn your spirit against God and bring such words out of your mouth. He says, we brought you words of comfort and you rejected it. And these words were directly from God. When Eliphaz claim to have received special revelation. It was a vision from God, a gentle word for Job. But it was not that gentle and no comfort to Job at all. It portrayed God in a different way, especially when you consider Job's status before God and his circumstances. Job used to be on the same page with these guys. Now that he is not, they're lashing out at him as if he is being ungrateful to God. But really, he is just rejecting their words And their portrait of God. Sixth. Job's speech was far-fetched. But really it is Eliphaz's claims that are a bit far-fetched. Because again, he reminds Job of his special revelation. And what he was told in the vision in chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. But this was somewhat a revised edition. Which reminds me of sort of like a biased journalist in the media. It is a little bit more extreme and accusatory than the original vision. He says this, What is man, that he can be pure, or he who is born of a woman, that he can be righteous? Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less one who is abominable and corrupt, a man who drinks injustice like water. What hope does man have if everything else is fallen and corrupt? Even the angels and the heavens which God created for himself. Notice before in chapter 4, he insisted in the word from God that man cannot be in the right before God because he was mortal. Now he insists it's because he is abominable and corrupt. He accuses Job of lusting after sin. And remember Job was a judge. And what Eliphaz is saying here, he is no true judge. He is a man who drinks injustice like water. And that is the state of all mankind. But I'm sure Job's friends would have excluded themselves. He is telling Job that doing wrong is natural to man, which would make man God's enemy. The ironic thing is, this is a true statement. But Job is a believer. This is not the way God thinks of Job. Despite Job. Job is God's child. And we have noticed so far in Job's speeches, though he is wrong at points, his desire and longing has been for God, not for sin. He wanted to avoid cursing God, as we saw back in chapter 6, verse 10. In Eliphaz's speech, you can hear the voice of the accuser of our soul, Satan, if you listen closely. Now, as we analyze Eliphaz's claims here, we ought to sense a similarity with the world's common response to those who believe in the free offer of salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a picture of the world's reaction to believers and the true gospel message. To the world, the gospel is useless and unprofitable, Because salvation is promised to the one who does not work for it. As Paul says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. To the world, the gospel sounds like it lacks devotion to God when we share the gospel in the purest form, we are accused of being godless, aren't we? This is why the legalists of Paul's day slanderously charged Paul with saying, and why not do evil that good may come? See, the legalist hates the gospel because it promises complete and free forgiveness of sin, while the legalist desire, retribution, and justice to come down on everyone else except for themselves. Everyone is guilty except for me. To the world, the gospel message sounds deceptive. And they believe it creates pride in its followers. Because how can anyone have so much confidence and assurance that they will be in heaven when they die? You're just trying to hide and escape from all the bad things you have done. And that you're just a bad person. There must be some kind of karma or purgatory where you will pay for your sins. See, this thought pattern stems from self-righteousness. Believing that you're better off than the worst of sinners. To the world, the gospel sounds far-fetched. Because how can a man born of a woman... Be made pure and righteous. We hear this from the world all the time. People don't change. They can't change. God doesn't change people. Our state is irreversible. Men will always be the same. Or is that what our wives are saying? I don't know. Because the book of Job is not just about the undeserved suffering of Christ. It is also about the unmerited favor That Christ merited for both Job and all of God's children. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. It is about God's power in preserving and upholding Job through his suffering. It is about God who will fulfill his covenant promises to Job. God will do it despite what eliphaz and satan would say it is about god's grace but job's friends rejected god's grace eliphaz viewed job as ungodly without hope of making amends and he has stern warnings for job he believed that job's life resembled the wicked and his warning is again based on worldly tradition that he considered to be pure And he would use his pure tradition to support his claims and seek to answer Job's heresy. What was Job's heresy? Job's heresy was that the wicked often prosper in this world and the righteous suffer. So Eliphaz responds, I will show you, hear me, and what I have seen I will declare. Again, speaking of his vision. What wise men have told without hiding it from their fathers to whom alone the land was given and no stranger that is no strange unorthodox teaching like that of Job's passed among them. He is basically comparing his teaching with Job's teaching. Eliphaz is orthodox while Job was unorthodox. And what was Eliphaz's tradition teaching Job? First, it teaches that the wicked suffer from the terrors of a fearful conscience. But the question that first comes to mind is who is Eliphaz referring to when he mentions the wicked man? I believe it becomes clear as we move through the text. The wicked man writhes or squirms in pain all his days. He lives a miserable life, maybe sitting on a trash heap, scratching his disease-infected skin, much like Job, through all the years that are laid up for the ruthless, Dreadful sounds are in his ears. In prosperity, the destroyer, that is one of God's angels, the one responsible for killing the firstborn in Egypt before the exodus of God's people, the destroyer will come upon him. He does not believe that he will return out of darkness, that is the darkness of Sheol, the place of the dead, as Job repeatedly mentioned that once he goes there, he will not return. And he is marked for the sword meaning the sort of judgment is hanging over his head like a guillotine. He wanders abroad for bread saying, Where is it? Now I'm not sure why it is translated this way in the ESV, but in the strict word-for-word translation, it can also be translated as, He wanders abroad like food for vultures, meaning he is prey to God's judgment. But either way you translate it, whether he is a scavenger or prey, He is a man who has no hope because he knows that a day of darkness is ready at his hand. Distress and anguish terrify him. They prevail against him like a king ready for battle. Eliphaz is reminding Job of his own state of mind back in chapter 7 and how no matter what Job did to ease his mind, God would scare him with dreams and terrify him with visions. According to Eliphaz, Job fits the description of the way the wicked man thinks. He is anxiety ridden and paranoid like Proverbs 28 verse 1 that says the wicked flee when no one pursues. He is a man who has lost his peace of conscience tormented by the hopeless inevitability of judgment. He lives in dread, distress and anguish. Just waiting for his doom. There is uncertainty of the future for the wicked. While for the righteous, there is certainty of rewards. So for Eliphaz, Job is showing evidence that he is wicked because he lacks assurance. His is a religion based on sense experiences. If you have bad feelings about your circumstances, then it must mean you are wicked, Job. If you're feeling this way, are you really righteous before God? He is like the modern day experientialist. Now, although we should not ignore the signs of a tormented conscience, but there is also a flip side to this. Paul says, They, that is, Gentile unbelievers, show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. See, the conscience can go either one of two ways. The conscience will either be tormented because it accuses of sin, or your conscience can be seared, that means it has been dulled to sin because it also excuses you of sin. In other words, your conscience is not what you depend on for your assurance. It helps your assurance if you have a clear conscience, but you can't depend on it. Uh, I hear people often quote Martin Luther's famous quote, To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Uh, but this is often to excuse themselves of sin or maybe for something that is not really a big deal, maybe something legalistic, but they ignore the context. He said that his conscience was captive to the word of God. If your conscience is not captive to the word of God, then the word of God must dictate to your conscience. Because your salvation is not based on the state of your conscience. There is only one cure to a bad conscience. Listen to the author of Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience only by the blood of Christ can our conscience be sprinkled clean. There is only one true hope for a clean conscience and it is by grace through faith in the one sacrificial substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is what Job's sacrifices that he offered back in chapter one pointed forward to. And it was meant to clean his conscience Eliphaz claimed to know the state of Job's soul when he didn't. If he truly knew the state of Job's soul, then he would have given Job true words of comfort and assurance of God's love and salvation. Second, Eliphaz's wise tradition teaches that the wicked suffer a terrible fate in the hands of the Almighty in this world. All that he pursued in his life would come to nothing. Wait, who's he talking about? Who do you think and why? Why? Because one, Job challenged God to a fight, and secondly, all the while, God blessed him with a life of ease, but soon God's judgment will come upon him, and his life will be proven to be fruitless. He says, because he has stretched out his hand against God and defies the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with a thickly bossed shield. Eliphaz is referring to when Job demanded to speak with God. But he says it is because he has covered his face with fat and gathered fat upon his waist. This is another way of saying that he was following God for the sake of prosperity and now he was rich and he feasted all the time. This was evident in his double chin and his ever-expanding waistline. Now he was in no physical condition to challenge God to a fight. And he warns that his riches will not last because he has lived in desolate cities, and houses that none should inhabit, which were ready to become heaps of ruins, he will not be rich and his health will not endure, nor will his possessions spread over the earth. He will lose it all and declare bankruptcy on top of it all. He will not depart from darkness. The flame will dry up his shoots. Remember the fires of judgment, like the fire of God from heaven that struck and burned up his sheep and servants. And by the breath of his mouth he will depart. So, first, he accused Job of challenging God with a stubborn zeal. But is that true? Secondly, he accused Job of living a life of ease, indulging in carnal lusts and contempt for God. Now, is that true? Or again, must we be reminded that he was a blameless and upright man who feared God and turned away from evil? as God declared him to be. And Eliphaz says that the reason why Job had contempt for God was because he lost everything. His houses where his children lived are now in ruins. He lost his source of income and his wealth is gone. His possessions are gone. And he is looking forward to death where he will not return. There is no hope for the wicked who tries to battle with God. So Eliphaz warns Job, let him not trust in emptiness. Deceiving himself for emptiness will be his payment. This is speaking of the emptiness of idols and anything else other than God himself. And this is true. This is true. The biblical theologian G.K. Beale wrote a book entitled, We Become What We Worship. If you follow after idols, which are not gods, but delusions, you too will receive delusions. Wasn't that one of the purposes of Jesus' parables? To blind the minds of the hard-hearted. You will be proven to be a fruitless vine. It will be paid in full before his time, and his branch will not be green. He will shake off his unripe grape like the vine, and cast off his blossom like the olive tree. For the company of the godless is barren, and fire consumes the tents of bribery. He accuses him of keeping company with the wicked and unjust men following the insinuation made by Zophar in chapter 11 that Job was guilty of extortion when he was a judge. Hey, you reap what you sow, Job. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil, and their womb prepares deceit. He has not experienced the full extent of the law, but Eliphaz warns that he will. It is a bit delayed, but he will reap a harvest of judgment for his sin. Here, Eliphaz is a little less hopeful than his first speech concluding at the end of chapter 5. Now, much of what Eliphaz says here is true. It is true for the wicked who do not fear God. It is true for the wicked who seek to attack And purposely defy God. Indulging in sin. Without ever examining themselves. And how they are living. Without a care in the world. It is true. The wicked who are prosperous today. Yet they don't have the wealth nor strength in the world to fight against God. They will soon be bankrupt. And proven to be fruitless with nothing to hold for themselves. And they will be overtaken by darkness and consumed by the flame for rejecting God. It is true. But again, it is based on false accusations and a false religious system that lacks grace for the one whose hope is in God. And Eliphaz's system says that everything that is wrong with Job must be his fault in one way or another. His experience, what he has gone through, he even includes his mental state, And the way Job thinks proves that he is a sinner in the hands of an angry God. No true believer would suffer this way or even think this way. How often have we heard this before? And how unlike our good shepherd, who is also patient and kind, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I think the truth is that Eliphaz grew impatient with Job and he just wanted to shut him up. He was not willing to help carry the cross with Job, but rather stand over him as a centurion with a whip. And it is all because Job has been challenging their system of religion Now, do we find ourselves sympathetic to Eliphaz's speech? Do we find our inclination to assume or to make premature false accusations without proper evidence and witnesses to corroborate our story? But Eliphaz's speech is another example of how the natural man hates the gospel of grace. This hatred runs deep in every religious system today, from Islam to even some who claim to be biblical Christians. Job's friends are among us, if not looking at us in the mirror. See, Job knew the fear of God, and he was a child of God. Based on Job's context and his circumstances, what he needed at this point was a message of God's grace and favor. But Eliphaz rejected grace. Think of when Jesus Christ walked this earth. He celebrated with sinners. He ate with sinners. He drank with sinners. He saved sinners. He transformed sinners. And the religious leaders hated it. They had to find a way to thwart his plans. When in all actuality they helped fulfill his plans. So they came up with false accusations that he was blaspheming God when they were the ones blaspheming God, as well as they bore false witness against Jesus. The high priest said to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. The natural man hates the grace of God. The natural man hates Jesus Christ because he is the only Son from the Father, reflecting his Father's glory, full of grace and truth. Job was not suffering because of sin. He was not being punished for his sin. That is a lie from the evil one. But in all actuality, God's grace abounded for Job. And much like Jesus, he was a man who was suffering innocently. This is a story of redemption. It is a story of one man who will one day suffer as a truly innocent substitute for the sins of his people. For his people who often bear false witness. Because how often do we sound more like Job's comforters? How often are we compared to those who cried out, crucify him. Just as we should examine ourselves so that we would not presume on God's grace, we should also never forget God's grace for sinners. And if we find ourselves sounding more like Job's comforters with false accusations and assumptions like Eliphaz, we are walking away from the truth of the God we claim to know. Amen.